Okay, now a couple things. Um, young people, we're going to make a little change in the artwork. I think there was some confusion. Young lady over at the end, you look like you're ready to fall asleep. My mission is to try to keep you awake tonight, okay? <laughs> I don't blame you. Everybody's exhausted. Okay, well, here's what we're going to do with the artwork tonight. Um, young people, wait, wait till we get to the description of Apollyon. Don't do it yet. I saw one of you cheating looking at the dangerous journey picture. No, no, don't do that. Wait till we get to the description. Do your artwork on Apollyon, but what you're going to do is you're going to give it to me tonight, okay? So when you're done with your artwork, you're going to bring this up to me tonight and make sure you put your name on your masterpiece that you're doing, and I will be sure that the panel of judges will get the artwork. I will surreptitiously give it to the man who is the convener of the group of judges. So please give me your masterpieces tonight. Okay, now, and this really does fit with what we're going to deal with with Apollyon tonight um, because uh, Paul, a Christian's going to have to use his sword, okay? And what's the sword of the Spirit, you young people? The word, I don't want you adults to answer that. Forget about it, young people. What the, the Word of God, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Um, and you can time me on this, except I've got the official watch for doing this. Now, young people, are you all engaged? Are you paying attention? You've got to really pay attention to do this well. Don't blame me if I don't teach you the Ten Commandments backwards and forwards in three minutes and you haven't paid attention. So you've got to pay attention. Look up to me. You've got to have to watch. You're going to have to watch me, and I guarantee you in the space of three minutes, and we will begin it in about 30 seconds, I'm going to teach you the Ten Commandments in order... And I will teach them in such a way that after those three minutes, we will be able to go through the Ten Commandments, and I can say, what's the Fourth Commandment, what's the Sixth Commandment, what's the Seventh Commandment, whatever. And where's Isabella? Where's Isabella? Uh, Isabella Lyon. She, she's not in the nursery. She's too big. Where's this? I was going to pick on Isabella tonight. Uh, oh, there you are. How come you're not at the front? It's all right. I know where you are. We say in New York, I know where you live. Okay, ready? Young people, watch. Here we go. We're going to learn the Ten Commandments in order, but you've got to watch me to do it. First commandment, like the policeman, stop. Looks like a one. My arm looks like a one, right? First commandment, first commandment. Yeah, we'll, we'll try it, okay? Stop. You'll have no other gods before me. Got it? First commandment, stop. No other gods before me. You can imitate me. Second commandment, looks like a two, right? When you do it in a rough way, line of a two. But notice my hand is bowing down. You don't bow down to any graven images. Okay, second commandment, don't bow down to any graven images. Third commandment, three. You take a three and you put it on its side and it looks like the letter M. You don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The third commandment, okay? Fourth commandment, fourth commandment. If you play golf, and I know I've got about a minute, I've got two minutes left. Fourth commandment, when you play golf and you hit the golf ball, you say four so that nobody can get hit by a golf ball that goes at them. You don't play golf on the Sabbath. You don't play golf on the Sabbath. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Fourth commandment. Fifth commandment. I won't do it in the microphone. Fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Okay, fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Sixth, I've got a, I've got a minute and a half left. See, I'm right midway three. Sixth commandment, put this on a side. It looks like a gun, right? You shall not 
Murder. Actually, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Seven. You have 7-Eleven stores here in California? Seven is married to 11, right? Seven is married to 11. And the seventh commandment is about marriage. You shall not commit adultery. Okay, 7-Eleven, you're seven married to 11. Eighth commandment, if you go to an old, old house and you see a keyhole, it looks a little bit like the letter eight. And the eighth commandment is you shall not steal, right? You don't want to break in and steal. Eighth commandment. Got 45 seconds. Ninth commandment. This is a lot of fun. Nine. I want you to imagine your next door neighbor as a big black bear, okay? Imagine your next door neighbor as a big black bear in the driveway, sweeping out the driveway. Ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, that's the ninth commandment. And the tenth commandment, let's think of camping. Tenth commandment, ten sounds like tent. And a tent is a covering, and it is also a house. And the tenth commandment is, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Okay, covet and house, tenth commandment. There it is. Three minutes. Now, the acid test. What's your name, young man? Zach? Jack. Okay, I got it close. What's the difference, J and a Z among friends? <laughs> Jack, what's the fourth commandment? Four. Help him out. What's the fourth commandment? What? No, shalt not golf. Oh, brother. <laughs> Don't bind the consciences of people where you shouldn't. Fourth commandment is what? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Four, you don't golf on the Sabbath. What's the eighth commandment? Eight, you don't steal. Excellent. What's the first commandment? Stop. Have no other gods before me. What's the tenth commandment? Ten, shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What is the third commandment? Three on its side looks like you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The second commandment, second commandment, you don't bow down to graven images. The sixth commandment, you shall not, you shall not murder. Excellent, that's exactly right. How about uh, the seventh commandment? Seven's married to 11, you shall not commit adultery. And then my favorite one, what's the ninth commandment? You shall not nine and neighbor, you shall, your neighbor's a big black what? Big black bear, you don't bear. Now, here's what's a lot of fun with it, okay? Which commandment is you don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain? Third commandment, excellent. Which commandment is you shall not covet your neighbor's house? Tenth commandment. Which commandment is you shall have no other God before me? Stop. First commandment. Which commandment is you shall not murder? Sixth commandment. Which commandment is you shall not steal? Eighth commandment, which commandment is honor your father and your mother? Five, fifth commandment, very good. Which commandment is don't play golf on the Sabbath? <laughs> which commandment, fourth commandment, and my favorite one. Which commandment is don't bear false witness against your neighbor, the ninth commandment? Excellent. Now you remember that, and you will remember it, okay? Because we're going to talk with you very practically about how can you, you can use that in your battle with Apollyon, okay? Before we pray, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9. The battle with Apollyon. 
Uh, a man named A.W. Tozer was to the Christian Missionary and Alliance what Dr. Machen was to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And he was, uh, didn't always agree with him doctrinally, uh, but he sure was perceptive when it came to analyzing culture. And he has an article called The Christian Life, Battleground or Playground. And tonight we're learning that the Christian life is a battleground. It is a battle with Apollyon. And yes, Virginia, there, there really isn't a Santa Claus, but yes, Virginia, there is a devil. First Peter chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9, the apostle Peter writing to Christians who were in Gentile nations. They were very far away from Israel and, and the people of God who were there. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him. Be the dominion forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, the Apostle James, said we are to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Teach us tonight something of the way the devil will battle with us. We know it won't be as literal as Christians dealing with Apollyon, but it will be no less real. And teach us, we pray, how we especially use the sword of your word in dealing with the devil. We pray in the name of Christ, who has disarmed the devil by his own work on the cross. Amen. The devil. The devil in the scriptures is called Apollyon. He is called a destroyer in the book of Revelation, chapter 9 and verse 11. And John Bunyan was well aware of the power of the devil. And once I find the section, you will learn how he introduces him. Christian has come out of the armory in the palace beautiful or the house beautiful. He is now accoutred with all of the things that he needs, the helmet of salvation, uh, the belt of truth, uh, the, his feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the, also the sword of the Spirit. So Christian leaves House Beautiful, and he hadn't gone far into the Valley of Humiliation before he was severely tested, for he noticed a very foul fiend coming over the field to meet him, and his name was Apollyon. That's what the devil is. He is a destroyer. Now, how does the devil work? Well, the devil works personally. The Apostle Paul speaks of certain people in the exercise of church discipline, Hymenaeus and Alexander. How would you like to be Hymenaeus and Alexander? And your names are recorded in the Word of God for all generations, delivered over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of judgment. The devil works very personally sometimes. The devil will use the world. The apostle Peter speaks with this language. Be careful as you're out in the world. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes he'll even use work within our own flesh. He's not our flesh, but he works within it. Paul says, I had a, a, a thorn. Actually, it's a torture stake in my flesh a messenger of 
Satan, a messenger of Satan that was given to me to buffet my body. So there's a very real devil. Don't ever, don't ever joke about the devil. Uh, that's one of the devil's tricks. Don't joke about him. He is very real, and there's a very vivid picture in this section. Now, we're going to do a lot of reading from this tonight. But I will, I will, rather than me reading to you what Apollyon does, I'll probably just do it myself and let my reading be Christian's response. But as Christian sees Apollyon, there's a great lesson about the breastplate of righteousness which covers your chest. At this, Christian became afraid of Apollyon and immediately pondered whether he ought to retreat. Remember, don't retreat as Christians, whether he ought to retreat or stand his ground. But on further consideration, he realized that he had no armor on his back, and therefore to expose himself there in fleeing would probably give this foe the advantage with his use of piercing darts or fiery darts. So Christian determined to risk confrontation with this enemy. The breastplate covers your chest. At the back, it is open where it is latched to you. But it is nevertheless open. And the lesson that very perceptive Bunyan points out is when you have the breastplate of righteousness on you, you don't retreat, you don't surrender, you don't give up, and you ought not be fearful. Because, see, the devil will come at you, and as you're going to find in just a moment, he has a powerful way of pointing out all of your sins and all of your failings. And at that point, you've got the breastplate of the righteousness of Christ on you, and that's the way you stand against the devil. As I think I mentioned in the conference years ago on the Christian's life and death battle, the Bible never, ever talks about moving forward other than a Christian life walking, but in battle, advancing the kingdom forward, it says you stand. You stand against the wiles of the devil, and that's exactly what Christian does. Okay, here's the appearance. Here we go, children. You got your, got your crayons and pencils and whatever you want, or the green emerald pen, whatever it is. And one of you, here we go. So Christian, here's the description. Christian goes forward, and Apollyon, the destroyer, meets him. This monster was exceedingly hideous to behold. He was clothed with scales like a fish, of which he was most proud. He had wings like a dragon, feet like a bear, and out of his belly belched forth fire and smoke through a mouth just like that of a lion. And when he drew near to Christian, he looked down upon him with a contemptuous, sneering expression, and then commenced to question him. And in the course of this, John Bunyan gives us all of the main ways in which the devil will do his work. So let's look at them. You've got them, those of you who are taking your notes. Let's look at his methods. And as you write them down, I'll read them to you. Number one, the devil is a liar. Jesus said that he was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Here I will read Apollyon. 
Christian says, I've come from that place of all evil, the city of destruction, and I'm heading toward the city of Zion. And Apollyon says, so from this I conclude that you are one of my subjects, since the whole of that region belongs to me. I am its prince, and I am its god. Big liar. Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And our Lord Jesus Christ may allow the devil to have more or less of a leash. The devil does not own or run this world, period. And over against that view that even, I'm sorry to say, many Christians hold, we need to say that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and the devil only has as much authority as our Lord Jesus grants him, even as the book of Job teaches. The second thing is this. Notice, notice what Apollyon says to Christian. You are one of my subjects. No, you're not. When you are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that really means something, folks, the Lord Jesus says, I claim you to be mine. And as you go through life, you esteem that. That baptism is not going to save you and take you to glory, but that baptism is a mark that Jesus says, you are different than those who've not received that sign and seal of my faithfulness to my people. So, number one, the devil is a liar. And I love the way Christian responds. <laughs> this is great. He says to the devil, he says, uh, you see, the devil, you know, Apollyon says, why are you fleeing my country? <laughs> and Christian says, I didn't like your wages. I, I, I didn't like the, this. Actually, Christian had to have some New York in him. He said, uh, he said I, didn't like, I didn't like the pay that you were giving to your subjects, and I didn't like the working conditions either, because the wages of sin is death. And remember, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. I didn't like your wages, and I didn't like your working conditions, and one of the reasons I left the city of destruction is I wanted a better environment for my life. Isn't that a great answer? And that's exactly what Christians can say when the devil says, I own this world. He says, I don't want to live in your working conditions. Are you kidding? I got something a whole lot better. Okay, so that's number one, the devil's method. He is a liar. Number two, the devil is a deceiver. He is a deceiver. He misleads people. He says to Christian as he deceives him, you understand that no prince worthy of the name will easily release his subjects, and so neither will I let you go at this time. But since you have complained of your duties and salary, let me encourage you to return I personally promise that every attempt will be made by our government to improve your wages. And Christian, see, remember when Pinocchio is on Pleasure Island? 
All of those pleasures were to deceive Pinocchio. And here, the devil tries to deceive him. And Christian says in response, sorry. I've yielded my loyalty to another, even to the king of princes. And so in all fairness, how can I possibly yield to you? No, deceive me that you're going to make things better. You're not. I've already given myself to my king. So the devil has other strategies. Number three, he tempts. I won't read this. this basically, this is what he says. He says, you think my way is bad? Why, you look at the way in which your God deals with your people, with Christians. Many of them are persecuted. Many of them turn back to me. And if you now, before it gets so difficult, will just turn back to me, everything will be well. The devil is a tempter. And here's Christian's response and yours. But I've given him my faith, and I've sworn allegiance to him, which is what your profession of faith is. Baptism is a sign of God's allegiance to you. Your profession of faith is a sign of allegiance to him. So how then can I go back on my word and not be hanged as a traitor. What I promised was in, in my knowledge, that is when I was a child. And besides this, I regard my prince, that is Jesus, under whose banner I now stand as able to absolve me of all of your charges. And even further, he's able to pardon whatever I did in serving you. And besides all this, oh, you destroying Apollyon, to be perfectly truthful, I like my prince's employment, his wages, his servants, his governments, his company, and his country infinitely more than yours. And therefore, stop trying to change my mind. Leave me alone. I'm the Lord's servant, and I'm determined to follow him. I'm not going to give in to your temptations. It actually didn't happen this way, but I wish it had. In the movie Chariots of Fire, Eric Little, the one who went, won the Olympics in 1924 as he ran, I think it was the 100 meter, was a very committed Christian, and Chariots of Fire is in part about Eric Little, a very, very committed Christian. He is traveling to the Olympics in France, only to find out along the way that the trial heats and what he had been trained for were to be on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. He had trained for years to run in that particular part of the Olympics. And if you're not in the trial heats, you're not going to run in the Olympics. But they were on the Sabbath, and he would not run on the Sabbath. Now, that's true. Now, the story in the movie is apocryphal, but I love the way it's done. Eric Little is called in to meet with the Duke of Wales, 
Lord Cadogan, and the guy that played Lord Cadogan, this guy must have sucked lemons for about three hours before he did this part. I mean, I just puckered up looking at his... And, and then the chairman of the Olympics, and they're all instruments of the devil to try to tempt Eric Little to run on the Sabbath. And finally, Lord, and they use all the persuasive measures in the book, and Eric Little won't be moved. And finally, Eric Little says, he says, you know, I, 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 first of all, I'm a Christian, and my loyalty is to the kingdom of God. And this is what Cadogan guy, you know, all the sucking lemons, he says, when I was a boy, it was nation first and God second. And Eric Little looks at him and the others and very respectfully says, the God that I serve is the Lord of nations and he is Lord of our nation. And he is the one who calls the Sabbath his. And I intend to keep it that way. Young people, respectfully, lovingly, that's how you stand. See, you don't have to move forward. You just have to stand. And that's exactly what Christian does when the devil tempts him. Method number four. The devil comes as an angel of light, and that's kind of a lengthy section in here. Basically, what the devil says is, you don't realize, I'll deliver you from all of these very difficult things that you will face in this horribly hard walk that you are going through. Come into my hands and let me deliver you. You know the guy that really kind of represents this real well is the is the evil emperor in the Star Wars series, that kind of a thing. Come and I'll deliver you. And Christian says, No, my Savior will protect me. But he uses what I call the Hebrews argument. He said, Because Satan tempts him and says, Have you noticed? how many of the followers of your Savior are being persecuted. And this is anticipating what's going to come in Vanity Fair. And Christian says, my prince's present restraint in delivering his people is for the purpose of testing their love. That is proving whether they will be loyal to him to the end. And it's for the sorry end that you declare is their destiny. Why they are assured of receiving future glory. The Hebrews argument. In fact, they do not expect present deliverance. Rather, they are content to wait for their glory in the future. And then they shall certainly have it when their prince comes in glory along with his angels. And you say to yourself, how... How can that apply today? It was about two years ago that a number of Christians dressed in orange were taken out to a beach. And they were told 
by their hooded captors that all they needed to do to be released from what would come is to declare Allah as the only one true God and Muhammad as his prophet. That's all they had to do. That was the devil who was tempting them and deceiving them. Not one did it. Each one had his head severed from his body by the act of a sword. And it looks to the world like the devil won, but they didn't. Those people were immediately brought into the presence of the glory of God. And Christian says to Apollyon, as he would tempt him and come as an angel of light to deliver him. No. Even should you destroy me, I have an inheritance with my father. What a great way to respond to the devil who comes as an angel of light. And finally, the devil now is real. He's not nice anymore. He's beginning to get mean with Christian. And he starts saying to him, and maybe just let me read this to you, because you see the way the devil becomes, and here's his fourth method or fifth method, a slanderer and an accuser. And notice the record that Apollyon's got. Well, very soon after leaving the city of destruction, you were quickly discouraged when you almost drowned in the slew of despond, and then you made several wrong attempts to get off your burden, whereas you should have waited until your prince relieved you of it himself. Of course, the prince is Jesus. Through shameful oversleeping, you lost a very precious personal possession, and you were nearly persuaded to turn back at the sight of those fierce lions. And when you converse as you travel of what you have heard and seen, oh, your inward desire. Oh, it's really for personal glory with regard to everything that you say or do, because the devil is a slanderer and an accuser of the brethren. And brothers and sisters, when you're at low points, you'll get those accusations of the devil. He'll hurl at you a record of your wrongs that will keep you awake at night. I love Christian's response. All that you say is true. In fact, there's a whole lot more that you've left out. Don't you love it when people come to you and they say, well, you know, my, my sins really aren't that bad. You say, oh, no, they're far. They're infinitely worse than you could ever imagine. But God's grace is greater. And that's what he says. But the prince whom I serve and honor is very merciful. And he's most willing to forgive. But besides this, these misdemeanors were committed in your territory where I was educated in them. And as a consequence, I've grieved over them. And I've repented of ever doing such things. Furthermore, I've received a full pardon regarding these crimes from my prince. Now notice, notice what Christian has done. He has used the armor that he got in the armory, the helmet of salvation. I am saved by my prince. The belt of truth 
he goes back to the promises his prince had given him in the word of God. The breastplate of righteousness. I have my prince's own righteousness given to me. The shoes of the gospel as he speaks of the mercy and the love and the grace and forgiveness of his prince. The shield of faith, all of these things that he declares. See, the shield of the faith is not the shield of my faith. I don't want that. But the shield of the faith that I cling to in which all the promises of God are welded together in that shield. And he puts it up to the prince. Prayer, well, I guess he was praying inside, even though there's no specific mention of it. But he uses all of that defensive armor. Here's the thing. What has he not used yet? What part of the armor has he not used? The sword. He hasn't used his sword, and he is going to need it. Now, Apollyon's real, real colors show. Now, Apollyon is defiantly standing in front of Christian and stopping him in his way. And he says to Christian, you prepare yourself to die, for I swear by my infernal den of iniquity that you will go no further in your pilgrimage. Here I will spill your soul. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And how does he try to do it? At this, Apollyon was quick to throw a flaming dart directly at his breast. But Christian used the shield that was in his hand and deflected it and so avoided that danger. And then in response, Christian drew his sword since he now realized that it was time to stir himself. But Apollyon swiftly hurled a hail of darts that notwithstanding all the skill that Christian could muster to avoid, yet inflicted wounds on his head as well as his hand and his foot. What does that mean? Listen to how the devil will hurl his firing darts at your mind and your understanding. This world really wasn't created by God. <laughs> there was a massive explosion in which this dot of matter became the universe that we know of today. And all of science confirms that. Now, there is no scientist in the world who believes anything other than that. And that from this explosion of hydrogen, there eventually developed single-celled creatures and multi-celled organisms, and eventually in time, over the development of species, what we know of as human beings. Now, it took millions and millions and millions and millions of years to do it, and all scientists are agreed on that. And you would be foolish to deny that. 
Those folks are the devil's fiery darts that are hurled at your mind. And really, unless you're deluded, it doesn't take a whole lot of thinking to realize that to say that hydrogen, given enough time under the right circumstances, eventually evolves into people is really kind of a rather silly way to look at reality. But it's your understanding. At his feet, his own walk of faith. You really believe the Bible is the word of God? You really believe it's your final authority for faith and life? This silly thing called preaching really, really is a power to change people? And the Holy Spirit? Oh, come on. That's just some mystical idea. As your feet, as you go through life, in your hands, as you try to do things, the fiery darts that will affect you so your hands begin to do those things you shouldn't do on the computer. Your hands take to themselves those substances you put into your system that enslave you because you are told this is the way of freedom. This is the way of happiness. This is the way to unleash your potential. And so the devil hurls his fiery darts at Christian, and he does put up the shield of faith, the shield of faith taking the things you believe from the word of God. See, what, what is the shield of faith? We have a doctrine of creation, and that's part of the shield of faith against the silly ideas that are promoted in the world. Everyone is really, basically, really good and semi-angelic. There's a doctrine of sin that is part of the shield of faith. Come on. This, this business about salvation, that's a lot of junk. There's this doctrine of Jesus Christ and what he did and so on. Okay, so see, that's the shield of faith that Christian puts up as he deals with the fiery darts. As you go on, this is a long battle, folks. Uh, this battle goes on for Christian for half a day in the sun, and he's getting tired, and he's getting weary, and that's the real world. Especially if you are in an academic environment in which you are assaulted day in and day out with the views of a world that can't stand Christianity. It is battling in the hot sun every single day, and you become tired and you become weary and you if you're not careful will give in to the way of death a number of you i've spoken with about seminaries and i would hope that none of you would go to a liberal seminary but that happened to so many who went to seminaries that had long since turned away from the historic christian faith and men got tired of battling and they finally just gave in, especially when they were told, you want to graduate from this school, uh, then you better get rid of your silly fundamentalist ideas. And in those kinds of battles, you become weary. Here is your secret. 
The whole book of 2 Corinthians is about God making his strength perfect in our weakness. And your weakness, brothers and sisters, in the hands of God is one of our greatest strengths. Because when we are relying on our own strength, we are relying upon something that is pretty pitiful. And the Apostle Paul uses language like, when I am weak, then I am strong. Daily carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And folks, there is nothing pleasant about the cross. There's nothing pleasant about death. Daily carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus in order that the life of Jesus might be manifest in us. For death is at work in us and life in you. That's the great, great, great mystery of the Christian life. It is lives in union with Christ simultaneously in his death and his resurrection. And it's no coincidence that it is when Christian is down, as you'll hear in a moment, that God in his wonderful way works so that he will read, will use his sword. But remember, you do this in Christ. And as you battle in Christ, you think to yourself, what if Christ had given in as he bore the cross? You would have redemption. But he didn't give in. And you don't need to either, because there is this thing called the resurrection and its power. Christian is down. And Apollyon recognizes his opportunity. And he begins to press closer upon Christian. And now, wrestling with him heavily, threw him to the ground. And as a result, Christian's sword flew out of his hand, and then Apollyon gleefully exclaimed, Oh, I am sure of you now. And immediately he drew close, intending to inflict his mortal wound. But God, but God. At this point, Christian did begin to despair of staying alive. Even the Apostle Paul would say we despaired even of life itself, but God. But, as God would have it, while Apollyon was preparing his final blow so as to destroy this good man, Christian was enabled. Enabled how? By God. Christian was enabled to nimbly stretch out his hand and regain a grip on his sword. And at the same time, he cried out, the shield of faith. Do not rejoice against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, I shall yet arise. Quoting Micah chapter 7 and verse 8. And then he gave Apollyon, I love this, he gave Apollyon a deadly thrust with his sword, which caused him to draw back as if he had received a fatal wound. And in perceiving this, Christian moved in upon him while declaring, even so, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And as a result, Apollyon quickly spread out his dragon's wings and fled away 
so that Christian saw him no more. Christian, use your sword. Use the word of God as first Adam didn't. First Adam was meant to live out of what God said. Every tree of the garden you may eat, but you may not eat. You must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And notice they didn't quote scripture back to Apollyon. Apollyon said, has God said? And Adam and Eve didn't quote God's word back. And they brought the misery that we know of in this world. Thank God there was a last Adam, a second man. And the devil tries his tricks again. The destroyer comes to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is very hungry. You can actually fast for 40 days. And the first few days are kind of rough, and then about two weeks into it, it's kind of difficult. And then after that, for quite a period of time, you don't feel your hunger until the 40th day. When if you're in a prison, you will want to eat the steel bars. And Jesus is out in the desert where the sun coming up from the stones makes the stones look like wonderfully warm pieces of bread. And at that point, Apollyon the destroyer comes to last Adam, second man, and says, you got the power. Turn these stones into bread. And second man, last Adam, says, it is written, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It doesn't make any difference how hungry I am. I'm going to live out of what God has said. Well, he says, Let's go up to a real high pinnacle. I can play this game too. You know, your book says he'll give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. So throw yourself down and let your Father in heaven fulfill his promise. Last Adam, second man says, excuse me, it's written you don't tempt the Lord your God. And so the devil tries a third trick. He takes him and he says, just as Apollyon does here, see all these kingdoms? You bow down to me and I'll give them to you. And Jesus doesn't say it, but I'm sure he thought it. You big liar. You don't have power over those kingdoms. And it's written, you worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil leaves him. As the devil left Christian, as the devil will lead you when you use your sword. You have to use the sword. Use the word of God. It's very interesting. And I learned from Mr. Cooey that this is what it's called. Pugil stick training. Pugil stick training. Every soldier is trained to use a bayonet.
And your equivalent is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What does that mean, practically speaking? Memorize your Bible. I was chatting with one of the young ladies here that we were speaking with who's struggling with paying attention and, and focus, and I appreciate that's hard. We live in a culture in which we are distracted a hundred thousand different ways, and it's hard to keep your focus. Great thing to do to help you keep your focus, memorize scripture. Memorize whole portions of the word of God, and it will help you keep your focus, and that is what your sword is. Memorize scripture, and the devil will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you as you read here. Now, what's the second commandment? Shall not bow down to graven images. What's the eighth commandment? You shall not steal. What's the tenth commandment? Ten. Ten, you shall not covet. Great. What's the first commandment? Stop. Have no other gods before me. What's the fifth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. What's the seventh commandment? Shall not commit adultery. We're all fading out tonight. You say, what does all this have to do with it? You're going out into a world of a myriad of spirituality, and you know as well as I do. Come on, you're in a class of comparative religions. They're all the same God. Now, whether you describe that God as being Allah, whether you describe that God as being Jehovah, uh, whether you describe the God as being Vishnu, whoever it would be, they're all the same God. You're at the base of the mountain. You make a difference how you follow. You, you just go all, go up to the mountain and say, you shall have no other gods before me. Stick it with the bayonet of the commandments. Doesn't make any difference how you worship. Hey, listen. You've got to have some statues. You've got to have some icons to help you out with. That's great. Go ahead and you stick it. You are not to make unto yourself any graven images. How come you're so stiff about your speech? Come on. We all use these expressions like, oh, my, or blank, damn you. How come you don't do it? Stick it with the bayonet. You don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God, come on, you're in school now. It's Sunday. Go ahead and go to the beach. Do whatever you want. Stick it with the bayonet. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Come on, kids. Don't be so stuffy, your mom and dad. Ah, you don't have to bother to follow them or the police or whatever. Just go ahead and do what you want. Honor your father and your mother. Just give in to hate. Just give in to that hate so you're being authentic. You shall not kill. You're married. And all kinds of temptations come to men or to women. Come on. Play the field. Experience everything. You shall not commit adultery. Stick it with your bayonet. Ah, just a little thing. Come on. It's just a small thing in your neighbor's house. Go ahead, take it in the store. Nobody's going to miss this thing you pick up. Put it in your pocket. And go. You shall not steal. Everybody lies. Incidentally, this, we're talking about challenges of Christians. This is astounding. At least in our neck of the woods in New York, if you tell the truth, nobody believes you. Really, seriously. Nope, because nobody tells the truth. And 
Nevertheless, even though you are taught that there's 76 different ways to lie about any issue, stick it by saying you don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And you know the way Americans live. Come on, let's get the economy going, man. Let's heat it up. Go ahead and buy and spend whatever you want. You find what your neighbor's got over there and you want it, good. Go ahead and get it, get a better one. And boy, that'll be great for the Trump economy. Stick it. The Bible says you don't covet your neighbor's house or his manservant. See, that's what it is to do battle with the devil and the world and the flesh using the sword. And Satan flees. Now, God will do that in his time. Now, sometimes our battles with Apollyon really, 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 really last a long time. Especially men and dealing with the proliferation of pornography and of things out there that we've got to battle with. Yet the devil uses that stuff too. And for men, in many cases, that torture stake in the flesh is the lust that you have such a difficult time mortifying to look at things that you shouldn't. And you may battle for the better part of your life with that. You resist the devil with the word of God over and over and over again. And when the devil says to you, you're God, he must be fed up with you. Look at how you've fallen again. You say, my Bible tells me I'm supposed to forgive people 70 times 70 in a day, 70 times 7, and my God is infinitely better than that. And I mean it, folks. It's a battle. It's a battle with the devil as well as the world and as your flesh. Now, a couple of reflections, and then we'll end tonight. You don't forget these battles. You've had battles with Apollyon, and like a good soldier, you, you remember, you learn lessons from these battles. And some of these contests can be very miserable. They can be very unpleasant. They can be very dicey and sticky. So is the cross. There's nothing non-messy about the cross. But even as the Jesus was doing battle to disarm the devil on the cross and his power to ultimately destroy. So in Christ, you have those battles so you're not destroyed. And there's nothing messy about it. But let me tell you something, folks. There's tremendous happiness and joy in the victory that comes when the devil flees from you. And I've seen as a pastor how that happens. And then God brings refreshment Maybe not exactly like this, but something like it in his own way. Then there came to Christian a hand in which were some of the leaves of the tree of life, and taking these, he applied them to the wounds that he'd received in the battle, and as a result, he was immediately healed. He also sat down at the same place to eat bread and drink from the bottle that had earlier been given to him, and so being refreshed, he prepared himself for moving forward in his journey. Now his sword was already drawn in his hand. For he said, I don't know if some other enemy may be near at hand. Get your refreshment, folks. We talked about that this morning. Get your refreshment. Get strengthened. But you always be on your guard. For the devil 
is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. God gives you the equipment, the armor of the Holy Spirit of God given to you. Most important, Christian, use your sword. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And it's so interesting that as the devil works in our world, he has his ways of wanting to take that sword out of our hands. People think it's funny to quote the Bible. And that's just not done today in polite, enlightened company. And that's, that's something out of the past. It's for old folks. What a trick of the devil to get the sword out of our hands. Father, as we read your word, as we pray over your word, as we hear your word preached, as we sing your word, as we memorize your word, as we learn the doctrines of your word and the word that defends those doctrines, as we speak your word to one another, Lord, let us keep our swords sharpened and let us never be afraid as the devil, as Apollyon, comes to us as a deceiver, as a slanderer, as a murderer, as a so-called angel of light. Lord God, let us use our sword and stick it to the devil, even as last Adam did, and even as last Adam conquered the devil. May we in him do exactly the same as good soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen.